Section 70 of The World War. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Wayne Cook. The World Story, Volume 15, The World War. Edited by Horatio W. Dresser. Section 70. A Zeppelin Raid in London, 1915, by Lewis R. Freeman. The Zeppelin raids against England began January 19, 20, 1915, with the attack on Yarmouth, Cromer, Sherrington, and King's Lynn. Up to August 22nd, 34 raids had taken place, according to Major Baird of the Aerial Board, in 10 of which no casualties had occurred, while 384 people were killed in the remainder. Several more raids occurred in 1916, and then there was a lull until March 16, 1917. The toll of Zeppelins lost was heavy from the first. Ten were lost in 1914, before the raids in England began. Nineteen were lost in 1915, eleven were destroyed or sunk in 1916, and eight in 1917 up to October 19th, when three were shot down by the French on the Alsace border. The losses began August 23, 1914, when a Zeppelin was brought down by French guns at Baudivière. The English naval pilots began as early as October 1914 to bring down these airships, and on November 21st, two were destroyed in a raid on Friedrichshafen. During 1917, the Zeppelin raids were supplemented by airplanes, and the casualties were greater. May 26th, 76 persons were killed, and 174 injured, on a raid in Folkestone. In the raid of June 13th, 104 were killed, and 403 injured, and on July 11th, 37 were killed, and 141 injured in London. The Editor Last night, September 1915, was clear, calm, and moonless, ideal Zeppelin conditions, and walking down from my hotel to the Coliseum at 8 o'clock, I noticed that the searchlights were turning the dome of the sky into one great kaleidoscope with their weaving bands of brightness. The warming-up drill was over as I entered the music hall, and returning home at the end of the top-liners act, I picked my precarious way by the light of the stars and the diffused halos of what had once been street lamps. I was in bed by a quarter to eleven, and it was but a few moments later that the distant but unmistakable boom of a bomb smote upon my unpillowed ear. I was at my east-facing window with a jump, and an instant later the opaque curtain of the night was being slashed to ribbons by the awakening searchlights. For a minute or two all of them seemed to be reeling blind and large across the empty heavens, and then, guided by the nearing explosions, one after another they veered off to the east and focused in a great cone of light where two or three slender slivers of vivid brightness were gliding nearer above the dim bulks of the domes and spires of the city. Swiftly, undeviatingly, relentlessly, these little pale yellow dabs came on, carrying with them, as by a sort of magnetic attraction, 
the tip of the cone formed by the converged beams of the searchlights. Nearer and louder sounded the detonations of the bombs. Now they burst in salvos of threes and fours, now singly at intervals, but with never more than a few seconds between. Always a splash of lurid light preceded the sound of the explosion, in most instances to be followed by the quick leap of flames against the skyline. Many of these fires died away quickly, sometimes through lack of fuel, as in a stone-paved court, more often, though, being subdued by the firemen, scores of whose engines could be heard clanging through the streets. Others waxed bright, and spread until the yellow shafts of the searchlights paled against the heightening glow of the eastern heavens. The wooden clackety-clack of the raiders' propellers came to my ears at about the same moment that the sparkling trail of the fuse of an incendiary bomb against the loom of a familiar spire roughly located the van of the attack, as now about half a mile distant. After that, Things happened so fast that my recollections, though photographically vivid, are somewhat disconnected. My last calmly calculative act was to measure one of the oncoming airships, then about twenty-five degrees from directly overhead, between the thumb and forefinger of my outstretched right hand. These extended to their utmost, framing a considerably foreshortened gas bag with about a half-inch to spare. Up to this moment, the almost undeviating line of flight pursued by the approaching zeppelins appeared as likely to carry them on one side of my coin of vantage as the other. That is to say, they seemed not unlikely to be going to pass directly overhead. It was at this juncture, not unnaturally, that it occurred to me that the basement, for the next minute or two at least, would be vastly preferable for any but observation purposes, to my top-floor window. Before I could translate this discretionary impulse into action, however, a small but brilliant light winked twice or thrice from below the leading airship, and a point or two of change was made in the course, with the possible purpose, it has since occurred to me, of swinging across the great group of conjoined railway termini a half-mile or so to the north. This meant that the swath of the bombs would be cut at least a hundred yards to the northeast, and impelled by the fascination of the unfolding spectacle, I remained at my window. During the next half-minute, the bombs fell singly at three or four second intervals. Then the blinking light flashed out under the leader again, probably the order for rapid fire, and immediately afterwards a number of sputtering fire-trails, not unlike the wakes of meteors, lengthened downward from beneath each of the two airships. I might explain that I did not see more than two zeppelins at any one time, though some have claimed to have seen three. Immediately following the release of the bombs, the lines of fire streamed in a forward curve, but from about halfway down their fall was almost perpendicular. As they neared the earth, the hiss of cloven air, similar but not so high-keyed as the shriek of a shell, became audible, and a second or two later the flash of the explosion and the rolling boom were practically simultaneous. Between eight and a dozen bombs fell in a length of five blocks, 
and at a distance from one to three hundred yards from my window, the echoes of one explosion mingling with the burst of the next. Broken glass tinkled down to the left and right, and a fragment of slate from the roof shattered upon my balcony. But the most remarkable phenomenon was the rush of air from, or rather to, the explosion. With each detonation I leaned forward instinctively and braced myself for a blow on the chest, and lo, it descended upon my back. The same mysterious force burst inward my half-latched door, and all down one side of the square curtains were streaming outward from open or broken windows. Tremendous as was the spectacle of the long line of fires extending out of Iscope to the city and beyond, there is no denying that the dominating feature of the climax of the raid was the Zeppelins themselves. Emboldened, perhaps, by the absence of gunfire, these had slowed down for their parting salvo so as to be almost hovering when the bombs were dropped opposite my vantage point brilliantly illuminated by the searchlights whose beams wove about below them like the ribbons on a maypole dance the clean lines of their gaunt frameworks stood out like bas-reliefs in yellow wax every now and then one of them would lurch violently upward probably at the release of a heavy bomb but controlled by rudders and planes the movement had much of the easy power of the dart of a great fish indeed there was strong suggestion of something strangely familiar in the lithe grace of these sleek yellow bodies, in the swift swayings and writings, in the powerful gliding movements of those hinged tails, and all at once the picture of a gaunt man-eater nosing his terribly purposeful way below the keel of a South Sea pearler flashed to my mind, and the words, Sharks! Sharks of the air! leaped to my lips while the marauders still floated with bare steerage way and flaunting disdain the inexplicably delayed firing order to the guns was flashed around and like a pack of dogs baying the moon and with scarcely more effect london's air defence came into action everything from machine guns to three and four inchers not one in the lot built for anti-aircraft work belched forth the best it had. Up went the bullets and shrapnel, and down they came again, down on the roofs and streets of London. Far, far below the contemptuous airships, the little stars of bursting shrapnel spat forth their steel bullets in spiteful impotence, and back they rained on the tiles and cobbles. Suddenly a gruffer growl burst forth from the yelping pack, as the gunners of some hitherto unleashed piece of ordnance received orders to join the attack. At the first shot, a starburst pricked the night in the rear of the second airship, and well in line with it. A second exploded fairly above it, and then, all at once I was conscious that the searchlights were playing on a swelling cloud of white mist which was trailing away into the northeast. The Zeppelin had evidently taken a leaf from the book of the squid. I have been under shell-fire on several occasions, and I confess quite frankly that I never before felt anywhere near so panicky as during that long half-minute in which the airships appeared certain to pass directly overhead. The explanation of this, it seems to me, 
may be found in the fact that in the trenches or in a fort which is under fire one is among cool determined and often callous men who are meeting the expected as part of the day's work while in a zeppelin raid one is more or less unconsciously affected by the unexpectedness of it and by the very natural terror of the unhardened non-combatants at any rate to say that there was not a very contagious brand of terror in the air in the immediate vicinity of the swath of last night's raid would be to say something that was not true of my own neighborhood as soon as the firing ceased i slipped into my street clothes and hurried out reaching the square perhaps ten minutes after the last bomb had fallen that terror still brooded was evident from the white anxious faces at street doors and basement gratings at the end of a block my feet were crunching glass at every step and a few moments later i was in the direct track of the raid by strange chance it is impossible that it could have happened by intent that last fierce rain of bombs had descended upon the one part of london where the hospitals stand thicker than in any other and yet while every one of these was windowless and scarred from explosions in streets and adjacent squares not one appeared to have been hit one large building devoted entirely to nervous disorders was a bedlam of hysteria and the nurses are said to have had a terrible time in getting their patients in hand from another given over to infantile paralysis hip disease and other ailments of children came a pitiful chorus of wails in baby treble the other hospitals including one or two foreign ones appeared to be proceeding quietly with their share of the work of succor receiving and caring for the victims as fast as they could be hurried in the fires except for a couple of wide glows in the direction of the city and a gay geyser of flame from a broken gas main in the next block had disappeared as if by magic and most of the places where bombs had dropped in this vicinity could be located only by the little knots of people before the barred doors or by following a line of hose from an engine except for an occasional stretcher being borne out to a waiting ambulance the killed and maimed were little in evidence and but for a chance encounter with a friend who was doing some sort of volunteer surgical work i should have failed entirely to have an intimate glimpse of the grimmer side of the raid i had jostled him at a barrier where the crowd was being held back from a bomb to tenement and he pressed me into service forthwith thirteen zeppelins raided the eastern and northeastern counties of england october nineteenth nineteen seventeen thirty-four persons being killed and fifty-six injured on the return voyage the zeppelins were attacked by french airmen four machines were destroyed and three captured l forty nine was brought down intact the first one thus captured since the war began the commander and his crew leaped out and the commander tried to destroy the zeppelin but was compelled to surrender experts were then summoned to examine the machine it was found to be four hundred seventy feet long with five motors of four hundred sixty horsepower each one in the forward car one in each of the side cars and two in the rear car this zeppelin is further described as follows by the boston transcript outside the airship is painted black but inside the central gallery 
which runs practically the whole length of the ship, everything is yellowish in color, from the metal work to the ballonets. In the central gallery, which is arranged neatly in compartments, are all sorts of spare parts, oxygen apparatus for the use of the crew in great altitudes, and life buoys in case of a wreck at sea, hand grenades, parachutes, etc. She was able to carry about 11,500 kilograms, about 11 and one-half tons, of explosives, and she had a very well-fitted-up wireless room. Examination also revealed that in the construction of the framework of a zeppelin, from 10 to 12 tons of aluminum are employed. The covering of the 18 balloons enclosed inside the big outer envelope is made of cotton substance lined with gold-beater skin instead of with rubber, and the quantity used is so large that the intestines of 30,000 cattle go to the making of the material for one zeppelin. Each of the 18 balloons is fitted with a valve and separated from those on each side of it by a funnel to carry off the explosive mixture of the hydrogen of the balloons, the oxygen of the air, and the gases given off by the engines. When all five motors are working together, one contained in the forward car, one in each of the two side cars, and two in the rear car, the speed attained is 68 miles per hour. But as a rule, all the engines are not used at one time, and the normal rate of flight is from 50 to 56 miles per hour. The ordinary crew consists of 22 men, but during raids only 18 are carried. The cubic capacity of the present Zeppelin is from 50 to 60,000 cubic meters, about 1,060,000 cubic feet, or about 10 times the capacity of the first that were built and they are being made at the rate of about two a month. End of section 70